You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. All right, this week's edition of Banner Monday coming right up. I apologize for it being a day late. Had uh, an unfortunate family emergency to uh, to deal with yesterday that hit right before uh, Banner Monday. Monday was originally scheduled to go. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, you might have seen that my uh, my trusty companion, my dog Rebel, my um, trusty companion of 14 years, uh, passed away yesterday. Uh, it all it happened fast. I uh, you know I guess on the one hand I'm happy that he waited uh, for uh, for Monday so that I was home to be able to spend the final few moments with him. Um, but as you can imagine, it was a, uh, it was a rough afternoon. And, uh, once I got back from the vet, I wasn't, uh, wasn't in the mood to, uh, to talk about IU basketball for the day, but I have to say that, uh, it is, you know, is try to get back to some normalcy today. Uh, it's nice to have this to, uh, to jump back into and distract me. So I appreciate all of the kind words, um, that, uh, that everybody has expressed. So thank you for that. And, uh, he was a great dog, as I've uh, as I've talked about with multiple people. We uh, we humans don't deserve dogs; they are truly wonderful beings, uh, and he absolutely was that. So, uh, but with that said, uh, obviously we have uh, Banner Monday right now. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, which is SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust, but that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so that you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Indiana has one home game left. It's against Rutgers. It's the last game for Romeo Langford. Obviously, it's the last game for Juwan Morgan and Zach McRoberts. If you can make it to that Rutgers game in what could be a huge spot for Indiana as it looks to advance uh, up, the seeding line in the Big Ten tournament and also uh, state a stronger case for the NCAA tournament. Try to get there to Simon Scott Assembly Hall and SeatGeek will have the best prices on tickets that you can find because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket based on value. And this is what makes the ticket buying experience easier than ever. They help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's the easiest way I've found to shop for concert tickets, sports tickets, any type of live event. I use SeatGeek. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. And now here's this week's edition of Banner Monday on Tuesday. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday on Tuesday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, and that is talking hoops. This is the 18th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 494th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner moment. 
And this week's banner moment occurred with four minutes and 13 seconds left on the clock during Saturday's knockdown drag out battle between Indiana and Michigan State. So knocked down, drag out, in fact, that you may notice that my voice is still feeling the effects of being in the arena and uh, cheering very loudly during the end of this game. But that four minute and 13 second mark, that is when Matt McQuaid sank a jumper to put Michigan State ahead 62 to 56. It would be the last points Michigan State would score as the Hoosiers ended the game on a 7-0 run to win 63-62. This was the fourth straight game in which Indiana has held one of the Big Ten's best offenses to well below its season mark for offensive efficiency. Quite a drastic turnaround from the dead Matador defense we saw in Minneapolis just a few weekends ago. It's notable that with Indiana's back against the wall, down six in the final minutes of a game they absolutely had to have to keep slim NCAA tournament hopes alive, the defense was able to find another level of connectedness and toughness to shut the Spartans and their brilliant point guard out. And it happened, in part, because we have a brilliant point guard of our own. Now, no, Rob Finnessy is not the offensive wizard that Cassius Winston is. Nowhere close, and few are. But Rob's own on-ball defensive wizardry was on display all game long, most notably on the frantic final possession in which IU sold out to keep Winston out of the lane, and Finnessy harassed him into a tough baseline miss at the buzzer, securing the win. Obviously, this was the real banner moment from Saturday. The list of IU freshmen who have possessed Rob's late-game poise and defensive maturity is very short, and they are all all all-time legends. This bodes well for Rob's future and for Indiana's future, with Rob as the team's most trusted and capable building block for the next three seasons. All right. Uh, Well, normally in this spot, Ryan comes on to do the mailbag. Unfortunately, he is not able to join us today. He would have been there yesterday, uh, but as many of you know, had a family emergency Yesterday, uh, I came home from dropping my daughter off at preschool, uh, and my dog was not doing very well, and so I had to rush him to the to the vet. And you know, sometimes these things happen really fast, and this happened really fast. Although, you know, we had fourteen great years with him, uh, he had had three like crazy near death experiences, which which I can explain sometime. Um, so basically for the last eight and a half, nine years, I've kind of felt like we've been living on borrowed time with them and just appreciating uh, all the moments that certainly didn't make yesterday any easier to deal with. Uh, but, you know, as you get further from it uh, and you can really start to, you know, think about the positive memories and appreciate all the time that we had uh, with him, uh, you know, it, it, it makes those that time spent uh, thinking about it a lot more, a lot more pleasant. So rest in peace, Rebel. But that's why uh, we didn't do Banner Monday yesterday when I got home. Uh, I was not feeling in the mood to talk IU basketball, but I'm very much excited to talk about it today, kind of get back to a sense of normalcy. Uh, Ryan will not be able to be here to answer questions, but Mike DeCourcy should be here for our Big Ten Roundup um, coming up in the next segment. And then I think Josh Wilson will be here as well to talk about Indiana's upcoming matchup with Illinois. Uh, And then Basketball 201, we weren't able to do that because uh, uh, Ben had a, a power outage or an internet outage, so we'll try to do that at some point this week. So the week has kind of been all jumbled up Uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, but we'll still try to get you uh, as much IU basketball content as we can this week. With that said, let's hop in and answer some questions because you guys sent some really good ones. Um, And I want to, let me open up the YouTube page here so that we can uh, get some comments from the chat mob here as we go to. But let's hit the first question here, and this is from Adam. And Adam asks, what do you think will happen first in Rob's career? Speaking of Rob Finnessy. Said first team all Big Ten or first team all defense? Uh, I would say first team all defense because I think that's something that he could potentially be up for as soon as next season. You know, he's 
kind of building some buzz for it with his defense at the end of this year. He'll be another year stronger, another year more mature, another year more comfortable in a, you know in a, in opposing venues, and also hopefully, knock on wood, won't have you know the big crater of time in the middle of the season that he had this year where he had to deal with that concussion. So I'm not saying I'm not trying to predict that he will be first team all defense, but I would say that would probably come first simply because I think his defense is far ahead of his offense right now, even though he's a good offensive player. But he's got a long way to go, I think, to be as assertive and confident offensively as he is defensively. I'm not putting it past him. I think the sky is the limit for what Rob can do at Indiana and you know the kind of awards that he can win and the kind of status that he can gain as a Hoosier all time. But if I had to bet on one of those, I would bet on the defense. And this leads to a question from CW77, which I thought was really interesting. He says, why was Rob's defense Saturday so great? Some look at Winston's numbers and would say otherwise, but it goes beyond that. Exactly. So let's look at Cassius Winston's numbers. So Cassius Winston in that game against Indiana scored 20 points. He was 8 of 12 from the field, so obviously very efficient from the field, 3 of 4 from the free throw line, had 11 assists, 5 rebounds, and 3 turnovers. So... Let's start with the first point that when you're defending Cassius Winston and you're, you're trying to judge the defense that a player is playing on him, you've got to kind of grade that defender on a bit of a curve because Cassius Winston is one of the best offensive point guards I've ever seen. Like, full stop. He is one of the best offensive point guards I've ever seen. And that seems like hyperbole, prisoner of the moment, but the numbers back this up. I mean, Cassius Winston has had an assist rate in the top three in the country all three years he's been at Michigan State. He is a 44.7% career three-point shooter. He also shoots 50% from the field, and a lot of those shots are difficult floaters like what we saw. He's also got a high free throw rate, so he gets to the free throw line. He's a, you know, now, he's not a great defender, so I'm not saying he's one of the best overall players, but as an offensive player and considering the amount of minutes and the amount of possessions that, that he uses for his team, he's just a phenomenal player. And you look at what he did in the two games before against Michigan – he scores 27 points, has eight, uh, eight assists. He was 13 of 14 from the free throw line against Xavier Simpson, you know, one of the best defensive players in the conference. The game before that against Rutgers, 28 points, eight assists. So, yeah, you know, the 20 points, the 11 assists, they are really good numbers. But what you saw was a lot of times Cassius Winston was making plays against good defense, good individual defense from Rob. Now, I think Archie pointed out that Indiana's overall ball screen defense wasn't great early in the game. And part of what made Rob's defense seem better later in the game was that Indiana really cleaned up some of its ball screen coverages, and they were a lot more locked in. They sold out a lot more to stop Cassius Winston and force him to give up the ball, and he just didn't have a lot of teammates out there who were able to make plays. But some of the passes that he made, some of the shots he made were just so difficult against really good defense. And I thought Rob really played well all game long, even though at some points early in the game, because Michigan State just runs ball screen after ball screen after ball screen, sometimes two, three, four times in a single possession, it makes it really hard on the guy who is guarding Cassius Winston. You're going to have to have help. And when Indiana's rotations weren't on point, when they weren't hedging properly, then Michigan State and Cassius Winston were able to get things done. Later on, when you matched Rob's really intense, really smart defense, then it started to you know, to slow Michigan State down a little bit. And there are actually some things in Cassius, Winston number, Cassius Winston's numbers that point to the good defense, most notably three-point shooting. He only took one three-pointer all game. And this continues a trend of Indiana really defending the three-point line well. And part of that is 
not letting the guys that you don't want to shoot threes shoot threes, and you don't want Cassius Winston shooting threes. I mean, he has only had one other game, one other game this season where he took one three-pointer. Last year, he had two of them. I mean, this is a guy who is a volume three-point shooter. He's taken 163 on the season. They only allowed him to get one. When he scored, it was making tough shots. And, you know, some of the things that you can look at when you're watching Rob play defense is he's able to play, at least he was in this game, he was able to play physically, he was able to defend physically without fouling. They allowed a lot of contact, but Rob kind of understood what they were calling, what they weren't, and he played right up to that edge. Now, in other games, he's gotten in foul trouble, so this is something that he's going to have to get better at, but he's really able to play physical. He is able to play taller and longer than his height because he does an excellent job of having his hand up in a defender's face to help prevent a shot, even while he's moving laterally and front and back. It's it's a really unique skill that you don't see a lot of other guys do. A lot of other guys can, you know, approach a shooter, close out on a shooter with their arm up, but while playing on ball defense and moving with the player, they can't often keep their arm their arm up in that guy's face to help prevent a shot off the dribble. And Rob does a really good job of that, which helps him play bigger than his size. And he's just great at positioning. He really has a good sense for when screens are going to come and makes himself small and gets through them. Because if you can get through a screen and stay on your guy, now the other defender doesn't have to hedge quite as much and everybody doesn't get out of position. So all those things. And he's not a perfect defender yet by any means, but he just keeps getting better. And I just thought, especially in person, watching him battle a guard as good as Cassius Winston, it was just a really, really, really impressive uh, display of defense. And I think C-Dub's absolutely right. You can't just look at the numbers here. Although even looking at the numbers, it does kind of come out, you know, how how much Indiana, you know, I guess got Cassius Winston to play their game instead of what he would have wanted to do, which is get to the free throw line more and shoot more threes. They didn't allow that. He just happened to hit a lot of the challenge twos that they gave him. And that's where you just have to tip your cap to a great player. But Rob really played terrific defense. And I think you know, if he if he hadn't done it with his performances against Purdue, Wisconsin, and, I, and Iowa, which were all really good defensive performances, I think you certainly put people on notice here that you are not, you know, if you're an opposing guard in this league, you don't want to go up against Rob Finnessy because he's playing really good defense. A uh, question from Andy. Do you see Indiana locked into a Wednesday game in the Big Ten tournament? No. That is where Indiana is right now. I think if Indiana loses to Illinois, on Thursday, then they most likely will play in a Wednesday game, although there's still be a way based on what happens with the other teams. But essentially, Illinois and Rutgers are the teams ahead of Indiana right now in the Big Ten standings, and those are the next two teams on Indiana's schedule. If Indiana wins those two games, they will most likely be in the 8-9 game. Um, certainly, you know, if they win the next two, they're almost, I think they're pretty much, I think they are guaranteed to be out of the Wednesday games and play in the Thursday games. So in addition to getting two more wins and helping your NCAA tournament candidacy, now you can skip those Wednesday games, put yourself in a position to play on Thursday and just increase your chances of making a deeper run because you don't have the fatigue of Wednesday on your legs. But it is the Big Ten tournament, and rather than predict a big run, let's just win one game first. <laughs> but yeah, they're definitely not locked into it. A lot of it's going to depend on what they can do here against Illinois and Rutgers. Take care of business there, and you take care of business with a better seed in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, let's see. JD says, I think it benefited IU on Saturday, but it really seems like the amount of physical play Big Ten refs allow in the paint sets up Big Ten teams to not succeed in the NCAA tournament when fouls are actually called. Am I out to lunch on this, or does Big Ten officiating hurt teams when they play out of the league? 
I think based on some of the anecdotal evidence, you could certainly say yes. I, you know, to give a definitive answer here, I would actually want to go look at some data and see if, you know, are more fouls called against Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament? Do Big Ten teams tend to struggle in those games because of, you know, they get in early foul trouble? I don't know. I think it is a premise that makes sense to me. Uh, and I've certainly, you know, kind of noticed it myself watching previous NCAA tournaments, but I can't give you a hard, here's what the data says answer here. Um, maybe it's something that we can ask Mike DeCourcy, but I don't want to state definitively one way or the other, but I do think that premise makes sense, I guess is the best way that I can answer it and feel comfortable. John says, uh, Duran not feeling well, Justin Smith and Devontae Green on fire, so limited minutes for emerging contributor Race Thompson and a bit of a slog for Romeo offensively, all against number six, Michigan State. If we were able to take care of business and earn a bid to the NCAA tournament, do you think a run to the Elite Eight is possible? What do you see as the ceiling for this team? Um, <clears throat> certainly a run to the Elite Eight would be possible because the NCAA tournament and how far you go in the NCAA tournament is about two things, and you only control part of that equation. Part of the equation is how you play and how you're able to consistently play over a series of games, however many you're going to play, You know, one of them each weekend on a short turnaround, so you don't have a whole lot of time to prepare, and you don't necessarily know exactly who you're going to be playing. And the other part of that, then, is who you face and how your bracket might open up. So <clears throat> I think a run to the Elite Eight is possible because Indiana does have talent. They are relatively healthy right now, knock on wood, and they have beaten tournament teams. You know, that's one of the reasons why Indiana has an NCAA tournament resume now, despite not having a high volume of wins, that the wins that they do have have come over good teams. And one of them was on the road and one of them was on a neutral floor. So, I mean, they've shown they can win those types of games. You know, Romeo has the ability to be explosive offensively. Um, <clears throat> you know, when Indiana does shoot it well, they can beat teams. So, I think they could, especially if the bracket were to open up. But, you know... Right now, we can't count on Justin Smith and Devontae Green doing what they've done in the two games against Michigan State consistently just because they haven't shown it. But if, if those guys are back motivated and confident and kind of with their heads on straight and their attitudes right, you know, then you add two really potent weapons to some other guys that have played more consistently. And if you start getting that, Indiana becomes much more multifaceted, much more difficult to guard, much deeper, and they become the team that we thought that we might see early in the season – and that we did at times early in the season, you know, that we kind of thought would round into shape in March. And we all thought that was a team that could make a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight. And maybe January was more difficult than we thought, but this team has been playing much better the last few weeks. <clears throat> you know, so I, look, I would not bet on it. I think the most likely scenario is, you know, Indiana makes the NCAA tournament and probably loses their first game or wins their first game. That's most likely. But if they can get hot shooting, and sometimes that happens for teams, then yeah, they've got the other things. They're going to defend well enough. They can defend well enough to make an Elite Eight. It's just, can they shoot well enough? And I think that's where this team has not shown the ability from the outside, <clears throat> and really just generally offensively, that kind of consistency that you would hope for. So I think it's possible, you know, in kind of a very scant <laughs> way, uh, and would require, you know, a bracket to open up for them. Um, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. I would say that's probably about the ceiling for this team. You know, if everything were to fall right, that would be about the ceiling uh, for them. So we'll see. We'll see what they're able to do. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Tim says, Coach Izzo talked about lack of depth and his bigs were gassed, but in looking at minutes played, IU bigs matched minutes with MSU. IU had a little more depth at guard, but his complaint was his bigs didn't rebound in the second half due to fatigue. Seemed even to me. Am I missing something? <clears throat> um, sorry, I keep having to clear my throat. Let me take a drink real quick. I'm telling you, it happens every time we go to an IU game. I mean, I like during games, especially if I'm not, if I don't have to like sit and take notes, I am a screamer. And that game, <clears throat> that game was so intense. And so my, it's almost <clears throat> to a certain extent, it's a bit of a blessing um, <laughs> just from a show perspective that I didn't have to broadcast yesterday uh, just because my voice was even worse. So anyway, I apologize for that. Um, but, you know, let's look at the minutes here. So Kenny Goins played 38 minutes. Xavier Tillman played 32 minutes. They really didn't get much off the bench from, you know, from Kithier and Arns. And, you know, while we were at the game, and, you know, it's not like this was some uh, great observation, because I think a lot of people observed it, but, you know, Andy said multiple times, especially in the second half, man, they just look gassed. You know, Michigan State just looks really gassed. And, it, you know, look, you look at the minutes Indiana played, Justin Smith played 34 minutes, Juwan Morgan played 36 minutes, <clears throat> Deron Davis played eight minutes off the bench. But, you know, what's interesting about those eight minutes that Deron Davis played is he didn't play much because he was sick and not really feeling well, but he made a huge play in the second half where he got those two offensive rebounds. I think his bucket came uh, on that play. And, you know, Michigan State didn't necessarily have, you know, a guy like that in the second half that could come in and provide a little lift, and then you go back with the other guys. So <clears throat> I think the bigger problem for Michigan State, you know, it's not just that they didn't have the depth in that game. I mean, they didn't have a lot of depth, but neither did Indiana, really. But this is the second straight game against Michigan State that Indiana has dominated them on the offensive glass. And Michigan State is ranked 13th in the conference in defensive rebounding percentage, which is crazy. You know, given the brand of Michigan State and their reputation and what they typically do, their track record, they're just not a very good rebounding team. So, yeah, I mean, I think you know, fatigue probably had something to do with it, but Indiana's guys played basically the same amount of minutes. I just think Indiana, you know, presents a particular challenge for Michigan State in that way and is able to take care of a clear weakness that Michigan State has, and that hurt. So, you know, I don't really think that it was just a... I mean, you know, Michigan State's dealing with injuries just like Indiana has this year, and Indiana didn't really go deep into their bench. Indiana, you know, had a guy like Race Thompson that maybe you could have played, but... He didn't play. So, you know, Archie went with his guys. Izzo went with their guys. They played about the same amount of minutes, and Indiana just happened to have more in, in their tank at the end of the game. And, you know, part of what Indiana did, like I said, is took advantage of a weakness that Michigan State's had all Big Ten season. So I, I think, you know, I, like Izzo's post-game press conference, because we got a question about that. I think a lot of what he said came across as sour grapes because he wasn't willing to give Indiana credit for actually going out and winning the game. But there were parts of it that were true. I mean, if you're a coach, you probably would be exasperated that Justin Smith comes out and hits three three-pointers because he's made four all year. So, like, I get it. Like, that's not what a coach normally does in the post-game press conference. It's more like what Archie does where you're very gracious to the opponent. That's how I prefer my coach to be. So I, I didn't really appreciate what Izzo said. But there was some truth in what he said. I just think it was a little bit whinier and a little bit more excuse-making. And I think if Archie had come at, into a press conference like that, he would be getting raked over the coals. You know, so maybe Izzo gets more leeway because he has more skins on the wall. You know, whatever it is. Again, I didn't 
like it. I think you should be more gracious to your opponent when they just go out there and make plays. You know, maybe credit the guy for you know playing better than you thought. Um, but you know, he had some points in that. The way Indiana won that game is not a way really that they've won other games, you know, and but this is now the second straight game that Justin Smith and Devontae Green have come out and had great games. So maybe based on what you saw in the first game, you should have given those guys a little bit more respect. And to their credit, they went right out and did it again. So I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for uh, for Tom Izzo. Um, that's just kind of what I think about that. Um, let's see here. Bill says everyone is aware of how critical these two remaining regular season games are to any chance of a postseason participation. How do we match up on an individual personnel level by position with Illinois and Rutgers? So Bill, we'll talk more about the Illinois game, uh, coming up in the last segment. And I, you know, I, I think in some ways that's a really challenging matchup for Indiana, but there are other ways that Indiana can really take advantage. And so, you know, who really dictates the pace there? And is Indiana able to deal with Illinois' pressure? If they are, just like they did in the first game, Indiana's going to have a really good chance of winning that game. The Rutgers game is going to be an interesting one because, you know, as we talked about when Indiana played up there, you know, Rutgers has a lot of size, and they can give you a lot of problems down low. What's nice for Indiana now is that Indiana has some of its size back. You know, Deron Davis is back, able to give Indiana good minutes most nights. You know, you've got a guy like Race Thompson that you didn't have before who can come in and match the physicality. So, you know, even before that game, I didn't feel good about it. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the preview. I thought that was a game, you know, at Rutgers that Indiana was just as likely to lose as they were to win. And they came out and played well at the start of the game, but just didn't, you know, weren't able to sustain it. So... I think Indiana will be in a much better position now to do a better job in that game and to play Rutgers physically down low. And you know, and I think Indiana has an advantage in the backcourt, although Geo Baker and Montez Mathis and Ron Harper are good players. You know, they are young players, they aren't particularly consistent shooters. And I think for them playing in Assembly Hall is going to be a lot different than playing at home. Plus, we have Rob Finnessy, you know, back again playing really good perimeter defense. So in a lot of ways, I like that matchup a lot more now for Indiana than I did when they originally had it. Um, <clears throat> and usually, not always, but usually teams come out and play pretty well on their senior night. So I would expect uh, Indiana to, to play well in that game, but we'll have a more detailed scouting report of that one in the future, and we'll talk more about Illinois in the last segment. So I'll save that chat for there. Uh, Calber Hoosier says, where does Keon Brooks commit? I don't know. Uh, but I think... You know, we all saw that he made his the announcement for his announcement, which is going to come in a couple of weeks. It's going to be at a church in Fort Wayne. I would say that most of what I've heard since his visit to Kentucky has suggested that Kentucky is the leader. Um, it was so strong at one point that you kind of felt like a commitment might come any day. Those winds feel like they are, you know, blowing a little less strong now. If you're trying to read into like the particulars of you know, the details of the announcement and when it's going to take place and all of that, it would seem that having it in a public location where, you know, and having it open to the public would favor Indiana, you know, being in, in Indiana country up there in Fort Wayne. Um, but I don't know, like, honestly, it fe I guess, you know, the way I answered this to someone the other day was, I feel like it's 55, 45 Kentucky probably. And this is based on limited information. So, I mean, don't, don't take that prediction too seriously, but that, that, that would kind of be, so I guess like if I had to, if you made me pick who it'll be and you put my house on it, 
I would probably say Kentucky, but I don't know. And I look forward to finding out just like everybody else, both so that, you know, he makes his decision and can move on with it. And I think he's going to be a terrific player wherever it is. And he's a guy from Indiana, from the state of Indiana. So I will root for him, but also so that we can find out where to go. Do we have Keon and we can project forward or do we now need to look elsewhere from a recruiting standpoint? You know, as a lot of these longer recruitments are, and not through any fault of his own, but it's just nice to get them over with so that we can move on and start planning forward for the future. And I'm sure he and his family feel the same way because they're ready to move on and get on with the next phase of his career. Uh, and as Jane says, how are we preparing for the last two regular season games? I would say I hope that we're preparing exactly the way that we've been preparing since the Minnesota game. <clears throat> because, you know, Indiana came out of that Minnesota game and it felt like the team was ready to give up on the season. They talked about drastic changes. We've seen drastic changes. The communication is better. The defense is better. Players are playing better. You're seeing you know, impacts now from guys like Justin Smith and Devontae Green. So whatever they've been doing to get this season back on the right track, I hope that's exactly what they're doing and going ahead at one game at a time. we got to focus on Illinois, then beat Rutgers. If we just keep winning one game at a time, I think the NCAA tournament will take care of itself, and Archie Miller strikes me as a guy that is probably preparing exactly that way. So I hope that's what they do. All right, uh, coming up on the assembly call here as we move forward with Banner Monday, time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy. What were his takeaways from Indiana's two victory th- victories this week? And what's next for the Big Ten with this week's announcement that Jim Delaney will be stepping down in 2020? We'll talk about that and more. Stick with us on the assembly call. Welcome back to Banner Monday on Tuesday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference in what has just been a crazy Big Ten Conference this year. And there's no one better to do it than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. And as always, thanks for being flexible as we do it here on a Tuesday. Just fine, Jared. Actually, with... uh... With uh, uh, Jim Delaney uh, announcing his eventual uh, not retirement, <laughs> basically he is going to cease being the Big Ten commissioner, but the word retirement is not one of his favorite words. And so uh, when that happened, uh, I actually had a delayed flight coming back from Chicago. So I was in the airport. I was finishing my column. Big Ten called me back and said, uh, can you talk to Jim now? And I said, Yes. And then you came and said, hey, you know, we're uh, we're pushing it back to Tuesday. And I'm like, good, because now I can get all this done sitting here at the gate and I don't have to rush home to to do our deal. So it all works out. So were they calling to ask if you wanted to replace him and be the new commissioner of the Big ah, Ten Conference? Yes. <laughs> yes, I could use pay raise. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, they don't usually call the media to do those things. So uh, I don't, you know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I want to be the commissioner of all college hoops, not yeah, as much as you're, hold, you're holding out. Yeah, that's the one I want. Uh, you know, so that uh, when people ask me if you were the commissioner, what would you do? I would say I am the commissioner, and here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, you'll be you'll be pleased <laughs> to know we were we were up in Bloomington. Our show was up in Bloomington this week. We do an annual trip, and so we have an annual team dinner at Yonko's uh, Little Zagreb up there. Which, if you've never been in Bloomington, you absolutely have to go because it's a wonderful restaurant. 
But the topic came up of, you know, college basketball should have a commissioner, and we started throwing out names for who we would want. Your name was mentioned prominently during that dinner conversation. So I'm glad to hear uh, that. Like I said, that's the job. <laughs> you know, if I ever leave sporting news, uh, that's going to be the one that gets me. But something tells me that's not going to happen. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Delaney decision and what that means. But let's start. Hey, we've got a couple of Indiana wins to talk about. And that that has not happened much. In fact, this is the first time, I think, since we've done this, that we have two Indiana victories, a smorgasbord of topics to discuss here. Um, but what were basically your biggest takeaways from the victories over Wisconsin and, the, and, and Michigan State? I remember, um, I remember in 2016, I think, or 2013, it was 2015, 14-15 season, I think, was when Stanley Johnson was a freshman at Arizona. And I remember going out there around February, mid-February, something like that, and they were rolling, and Stanley was playing great. And he, and, and the people around the program told me, if only he had listened to us earlier in the season, we could have won almost all of them, and we could be looking at a one seed. And, but he just just didn't buy in until whatever, you know, timing was, it was maybe mid early January. And then it's, you know, it all clicked in and he, he started to believe and then he started to dominate and they started to be great. But because of the nature of their schedule that year and the nature of their league that year and what they had done and what they hadn't, they couldn't get back to a one seed. So they were a two and Wisconsin got shipped out there having already beaten them and they couldn't beat Wisconsin and they wound up uh, out going home again. And, and I was I was thinking about that as I was watching Justin Smith against Michigan State, and I was listening to to Arch afterward talk about they seemed to feel like they got some buy in from Justin. And, and you ask yourself, how much difference would this different would this season have been if if Justin had both feet in for the entire schedule? I think that you have a you you're not you're not sitting there wondering that. You're about whether you're getting in. I, I don't know that necessarily you're going to finish first, second, or third. I think there were enough other problems that came up with the team because of injury, this, that, the other thing. But oh, if you just had that one ingredient, I mean, you probably turn at least two games around from losses to wins. And if you turn two around from losses to wins, right now you are 16 and 11, uh, 17, excuse me, 17 and 11, 17 to 12. And all you have to do then is close with one or two, and then you're getting in because you're having all the, you know, having you know, six quad one wins already, you know, which depends obviously on which of the two got turned around. But, you know, maybe I, maybe one of the Iowa games turns around. Um, maybe uh, uh, the, um, the game, one of, one of the, uh, the games. The Purdue that, game? The, the Maryland game on the road. Purdue, yeah, great point. I mean, one of them gets turned around. Uh, and you got another quad win, one win or two, and you're getting in. And, and but you know, I mean, the important thing is now. Okay, that's over. It's done with. Okay, so you did it on Saturday again, and that's the second time you did it to Michigan State. And Arch seemed to think it was indicative of beyond just you've got a good matchup, but that you are in now. Well, be in, okay? Because you still could if you contribute now to two more victories. And an engaged Justin Smith and an attentive Justin Smith with his athletic ability and his defense, his, his raw defensive ability, um, they can win those two games. And if they win those two games, they still have a shot. And I wrote, I wrote yesterday about the, the vast number of teams. People act like it's like an invention of the 68 team era, which I guess we've had since 
2011. But there were teams getting in with 14 losses. When I covered the Big East in 1991, uh, not only did Villanova get in with 14 losses, they got in with 16 wins. They were two games over 500. And you know what? I covered that team. They belong. Uh, Georgia in 2001, 16 and 14. And I, and I was at their final regular final game of pre-selection. They lost in the conference tournament to LSU, the decent LSU team. I'm not even sure they made it, but they finished 16 and 14. And I talked to Jim Herrick afterward and he said, we should be in. And I looked up the numbers. Now it was a little bit more rudimentary then than it is now. We didn't have Ken Palm. We didn't have uh, all the RPI breakdowns. You had to do every single game by hand. Uh, you don't know how good you have to. Um, we, uh, and, and I figured out that they had played out of their, out of their 14 wins, uh, excuse me, out of their 16 wins, I think they had 14 in the top hundred. And then wow. it was, it was easily one of the biggest numbers of, uh, and I wrote, okay, they, he's right. They belong. And I got crushed. I mean, we didn't have Twitter to crush you. It was all email crushing. But I got deluged with emails from people telling me I was an idiot because I thought Georgia belonged. And then two days later, they got in. So they, there have been 15 teams by my count that had at least 14 losses. And, of course, one of the clowns on, on the Internet said, how do you know they're going to only finish with 14? And, and I'm like, they're not – like, if this isn't even a discussion if they finish with 14. If they finish with 14 – they're they're in. In. <laughs> that means they win all the games and they win the conference tournament and there's no question. So that's not my point. I said at least 14, there have been two. Each of them, I think they were in the last two or three years, we've had two. Yeah. Van, they, I, it was two. two. Last two years. Vanderbilt 2017, the team that played Northwestern in the 8-9 game. And then last year, we had uh, Alabama uh, get in with 15 losses. I think they were 19-15, and 15, if I remember right. Uh, and if you, you know, if you're a IU fan and you want to check the, the, uh, Hoosiers profile against those two teams, I think you'll find it, you know, a projected profile now. I mean, today the column, the Twitter, uh, headline I put on is like, no one's arguing that a 15, 14 team belongs in the tournament. And I don't care whether Lonardi has them in or Palm has them in, or our guy has them in. I don't care about that or, you know, or how he, it doesn't matter to me. What matters is, okay, 15 and 14, 16 and 14, 17 and 14, 18 and 14, losing the semis. Now you're 18 and 15. Now what are we talking about? Yeah. Now, you know, now you're six, one, six quad one wins and you're three games over 500. And the team that eliminated you is probably Michigan State. Because, I mean, you're not going to beat them every time. And so do the, is that team a tournament team? And that's the discussion. It's not do they belong today. I don't care. I mean, it doesn't matter. Do they belong on March 17th? And they've got a lot that they can accomplish between now and then. And I don't think that they need another high-end win. They need wins. And just avoiding losses <laughs> as, mu as much as wins. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. I mean they, need, they, need, they need wins to stack on top of their quality wins. Other teams, I remember Nebraska, I sat there on February 2nd or 3rd or 4th last year on the set at BTN, and I said, Nebraska's going to win a whole truckload of games, and they're still in trouble because there's no quality for them to gain. Their schedule didn't permit it. They were, they were, they, they, they were going to have to probably do something special in New York. They drew Michigan. 
Uh, Michigan was at that point, maybe the second best team in the country and they couldn't beat them and they lost. And they knew that day they were done, even though they were, I think 13 and five in the league. I can't remember what, exactly what their number was overall, but it was good. It was over, they had over 20 wins, but th- th- that's not, I use problem right now. I use problem is not quality. They've got lots of quality. I use problem is quantity and they have to take care of that starting Thursday at Illinois and then continuing that on in the Rutgers game. And then whoever they face in the first round, those three games to me are not optional unless, you know, unless they happen to like, if they drop the Illinois, then they have to do something extraordinary, like play in a title game or something like that. Yeah. So that's why I have to look at these games as must wins. One more question for you about the Michigan state game before we look at the big 10 more broadly, you know, being there in person, there were two things that I was, I mean, you know, so many things stuck out, but the two things I was most impressed by were number one, watching Cassius Winston in, in person was just a real treat. I mean, trust me, more of a treat knowing that they lost like in hindsight, but watching him in person is unbelievable. Like the vision that he has, the shot making that he has, he's just, he's a breathtaking player to watch. He really is. But, or not more of a but, but and, Rob Finnessy's defense on him was incredible. And 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 in that game, just as impressive, even though, you know, Cassius is obviously a, a better player at this stage. But, you know, we got this question. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. You know, how can Rob Finnessy have played a quote-unquote great defensive game when Cassius Winston has 20 points, 11 assists? You know, well, and, I, and, I, and I'd love, I mean, I, I answered it already, but I'd love to get your okay. insight on it as someone well, who appreciates first, Cassius and, but, you know, can, can give us insight on this. The first answer is that Cash in other games uh, has scored 28 and in a lot of games. I mean, especially since Nick Ward got hurt, they have gone more and more to him as their first option. So that's the first answer is you have to remember that whatever his average is now, and I think it's around uh, it's around 18 and a half, 19 a game, whatever that is, it's up in games post Nick, you know, in games where he's injured, he's averaging 19.2. But after the Ohio State game, he went 28-27 the next two. Yep. So, I mean, that's the first thing. The second thing is that what you're looking at when you're playing a guy like uh, Cash or a team like Michigan State, it's not about the number that they shoot or anything like that. It's about did you get the stops you needed to win? I mean, even if even if Cash had been able to do almost everything he wanted to do the rest of the game, in the end, you're in a game. You're, you know, it's one possession, two possessions, either way. And now what is he doing? And, you know, and some of it is that he was tired. But some of the reason he was tired is because he had Rob in his face all day. And then when he had to absolutely make a stop, and he knew that he had to make a stop, and he knew that it was going to most likely be cash that he that that was going to be the key player. The first thing he did was he got cash worn out on a possession to the point where he cash ran out of ideas, and he almost never does that. <laughs> and he runs out of ideas and just tries to get rid of the ball, and he throws it over the sideline. Don't forget that play; that yeah. was enormous because that set up IU to go ahead. And then the second time, now you you you've got you're you're ahead, and you know you're on a tightrope. I mean, you're not up three with oh, let's not let them have a three, uh, and even if we do, we tie, or you're not up two, and if we let up a three, then we lose, and if we let up a two, then we tie. 
you're up one point. If you don't get a stop, they win. If you do get a stop, you win. There is no more perilous circumstance for a defender than that. And the offensive player is at an advantage because he can win the game a lot of ways. He can win by finding a teammate for a pass. He can win by forcing you to foul him. He can win by making a shot. And of course, he has an array of shots. And all you can do is try to make any of those things difficult for him. And what he did uh, when Cash had the basketball, you know, I saw somebody break down how IU really did a great job and, 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 uh, and Arch did a great job of leaving, I think it was Duran in the middle of the lane to cut off the middle of the lane to, you know, to, for access. And that's why Cash went wide. No, 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 no. Because Cash's shot is that floater from the from just inside the dot, you know, the dotted circle. So maybe he if he does get if he does get middle and and Rob lets him get middle easily, maybe he has to shoot it from further than he wants, or maybe he has to stop and pop a 15-footer. But there's a shot there for him that's clean and that he's comfortable with. But Rob made him forced him. Now, Cash still could have stopped and turned it back if he wanted. And there wouldn't have been much Rob could do. Um, he would have had to try to recover. It would have been hard. But he he counted on, or he was fortunate, one of the two, thinking, you know what, he's not going to want to stop because there's time. You know, you don't, in a regular, you know, regular course of the game, there's three minutes left. You can stop, doesn't matter. But there's, the clock's ticking down, so you don't want to stop your action. You want to keep moving. So, he, he, he should have, Cash should have stopped, crossed over, gone middle, seen what could happen. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he wouldn't have had any, uh, the play as clean as he would have liked, but it would have been a better shot than what Rob ended up forcing him into, driving to his right and fading away. That is not Cassius Winston's shot under any circumstance. I have not seen him make a shot this year that looks anything like that. So that's how he played great defense. He forced him right. He did it, you know, again, like I said, he allowed that door to be open because he didn't have any choice. He had to, he had, if, if, if Cash is going to stop and cross over, you know, he, he, there's still something there, but he said, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm on your left hand. You have to go right. And do, by doing that, he forced Cash away from the shot that he wanted. And that's how he played great defense. Even if every other possession was, bad, which, as I said, it wasn't. He got him to the point of physical exhaustion with his defense and, of course, with Cash not getting enough of a break. Yeah, that's, that is a great breakdown of how of the defense at the end of that game. All right, so let's talk Big Ten. We'll quickly do your power rankings to begin, uh, and we'll try something new this week. Let's do power rankings two through five, because I don't think anybody on this show wants to hear who's the probable number one on that <laughs> list. <laughs> okay, I'll do two through, through five, and I'm going to go... Michigan at the at two, and then MSU after that. They're almost inseparable, and they're inseparable, and they're going to decide that obviously on the court on the weekend on Saturday. Uh, but uh, I I will go um, with uh, with Michigan. Hey, remember, you know they said something nice about you on Twitter on Sunday. You know after or Saturday after you whatever day that was that you guys beat the. Uh, yeah, they did. I, I thought Matt Painter's comments were great. And they and they had that nice little tweet. I got a big kick out of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one day you're all right. So I guess you can go back to not liking them because they said only one day. That's right. <laughs> so then after those two, I'm going Wisconsin. 
Uh, Maryland, a little disappointing to lose that home game on Sunday. Uh, was not an, an impressive performance by them. And then Maryland hangs in it five because Iowa doesn't want to be in the conversation. So th- there's your fo- there's your your next four. And I think as much as any year I can remember, um, every team in this league is desperate to get out of it. Like it's they 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 want to they want to you know they, except for maybe for uh, except for maybe those guys uh, up north or whatever on on on, uh, on sixty five. Uh, they seem to be the only team that is enjoying playing in the Big Ten at this point. It has been really difficult for everyone. And, you know, I, since I wrote that IU column yesterday about I, – I don't think people are, have been paying enough attention to how really difficult this league has been mm-hmm. and how – I, I got somebody on Twitter saying, how can Penn State count as a quad one win? And, uh, and I'm like, you're arguing with statistics and math and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but how can they – but no, how can they be rated where they are? And I said, well, Ken Palm has them rated like 43 or something like that. And, and Annette has them at 50 or whatever. And if you win at University Park, I mean, that's a difficult win to get. It, it's statistically true. You can't argue with the numbers. And, you know, they so then they start trying to pick apart the computer rankings. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, hey, I'll tell you, this is how Vegas does it, man. And they don't, they ain't losing money out there. You know, they might lose a bet here or there, but they don't lose money. So that's how it works. I mean, if Penn State goes and plays the 70th team on a neutral floor, even if the 70th team has 18 wins and they've only got an 11 or 12, they're going to be favored. That's how it works. When our civilization ultimately fails and historians are writing about the reason why, people on Twitter arguing with facts are going to be that, – that's going to be part <laughs> of the story for, for, yeah. why, for why this all ends. Um, what players, what teams around the conference kind of caught your eye with their performances this week? Well, Iggy Brasdakis in, in particular, and, and I think that's essential for Michigan because uh, obviously no Charles Matthews at the moment. And so Iggy technically – there's not a huge difference between their three and four spots, but there is a difference. I mean, there are some differences in responsibility, especially at the defensive end, uh, who you guard. Uh, and he, he was really terrific on Sunday against Maryland and they had to have it. Uh, they didn't have any choice. He had to be great. And, and he, and he was without a doubt. Uh, that was, you know, that was one that really did geo Baker for Rutgers was fantastic. Again, uh, yeah, it, controlling action for them. He's the one veteran guy they have that's in charge of the ball at some, you know, most of the time. And, and it, they, they've been really good lately. Lamar Stevens as well. The, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in what your thoughts are, Jared. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big wins guy when it comes to all league and, and all American and those sorts of things. Uh, but when I look at the, at this conference and I see what he's accomplishing, and and how he carried them through difficult times early and almost got them, you know, almost got them a win at Minnesota. Um, you know, a lot of almosts. Um, and now they're winning because of him. I, I have Lamar as a first team all conference player. Uh, I have my ballot sketched out. I'm not going to send it until after at least the next round of games. I don't know that I'll hold it through the weekend, but he's on my first team right now. And, and I, Jordan Murphy comes through for the rest of the world. Uh, and beats that other team and, and keeps Michigan and Michigan State alive. And Jordan has a great game. I might rearrange them. It's possible. Um, but I, I, you know, I think Lamar has been amazing. And 
you know, you wish that they'd gotten their guard act together earlier. Um, uh, and because they, they did have some serious potential with his team, but, uh, he's been fantastic. And I, I, you know, I, I'm interested in the counter argument. I haven't found anybody yet to say, no, I can't have a guy on the all conference first team. That's, you know, won five games, or maybe they win six, maybe top seven. Um, I, I can't have that. Uh, but uh, right now, as I said, I'm I'm a big believer in how your team does is a big part of whether you make it. And and even at that, I still have them on there. Yeah, no, I've been pretty clear about that. I mean, I think that's, you know, look, it's an individual award, you know, that, that you're giving out. You've got team standings for the team. So to me, it is a tiebreaker. And maybe it's even a little bit more than a tiebreaker because stats, you know, put up on in wins do kind of mean more. But if a guy's playing great, a guy's playing great. And I think it certainly helps him that they finally started winning and maybe his teammates have come around to help him pick up the slack. But I don't think it should be immediately disqualifying for a guy just because his team isn't playing well. I think we both know. I mean, I, had, I once had a coach told me that, that somebody's got to score the points because you don't shut teams out in college basketball mm-hmm. or any basketball. And so I think we both know what it looks like when a guy is just being the guy to score the points. And versus a guy who's really affecting his team's p- performance positively, even if that doesn't get them all the way over the finish line. And I think that's what I'm seeing from Lamar. And that's why I'm high on on the idea of him potentially being. Again, you know, Jordan Murphy goes out and has a phenomenal night uh, tomorrow. Actually, I think that's tonight. Uh, uh, has a phenomenal night and, and changes the nature of the Big Ten race and also changes his teams again affects his team. If they get Purdue, um, you know, I think Minnesota's in great shape to get in. And if they don't, they got they got a lot of heavy lifting to do and not much time to do it. Has Iggy Brasdakis locked up Big Ten Freshman of the Year? Do you think? For me, yeah. I mean, he's, again, I had to do that ballot, and I don't know that much could change it. Um, I suppose, you know, it's still there to be had. Iggy had his tough spots, too. He was fortunate to be on a team uh, that could survive it. Uh, but I'm not sure that there's enough time left for somebody like Romeo, for instance, uh, to make up that much ground. Uh, Io DeSumo been very good, but I don't think he can make up that much ground. And, uh, I, so there's a couple other guys, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, those are probably the, the primary three to this point that I would have. And I, I think Iggy is at least, uh, you know, a, a quarter lap ahead of the other two guys. All right. We have a few minutes left. I still have two quick questions that I want to ask you. First one about Jim Delaney, because we talked about it, you know, how, you know, it's obviously big news that the big 10 is going to be changing commissioner. What do you think this means for the kind of the near and medium term for the conference? Well, you know, I think the big 10 is set up really well. And that's part of what Jim's been doing is, you know, ordering things so that, his successor is in a powerful position, a, a position of strength and not a position of weakness. You know, the television contra- contracts are obviously lucrative for everybody involved. They have the, the, uh, the conference tournament is, you know, a coveted property. Uh, and, and as is obviously the uh, championship game. And I don't think that when I say it's a coveted property, I don't think they're going to move it out of Indy. Uh, but, uh, but it's been a, I think it's done well for them uh, in, in terms of uh, revenue generation and, and, you know, artistic product, if you, whatever you want to call that. I mean, it's been, it's been, you know, a positive experience for everybody involved. So, yeah, I think the one thing that, 
that they they'd either Jim fiddles with on the way out the door or the next guy or lady comes in and works on is trying to get the playoff to the point where you don't have three consecutive Big Ten champions excluded. It's that's silly. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's mm-hmm. not not running things right if that's happening. I'm a huge believer in the idea of having five auto bids for the P5 champions and then one auto bid for the uh, the, the the group of five best team, whoever that might be, West uh, Western Michigan in a year, UCF, whoever. Uh, and then if you want to have at-large beyond that, I'm cool. Do that. Um, if you don't, uh, I don't know how you accommodate Notre Dame. If you don't, that's why you kind of, I think it's probably ideal if you do. But it, it just, what you would turn those conference championship games into if you do that, it would be so electric. And people in football are so caught up in, well, what if you have a seven and five team win? Well, one, design your divisions differently. And, so, and, and two, if you did, that's the worst thing that can happen. Meanwhile, you have everybody in America wanting to see what happens in those games because they're, they mean the automatic bid. So I think that's the next, the next commissioner, he or she needs to work on that. I think Jim's come around to that thinking to an extent. Uh, I, again, I don't know how much he's going to want to influence it. Uh, he did make his thoughts known uh, after the past one, but uh, I think that's, I think that's a big job for the person. And then whoever that is also will be probably, I guess, three years after Jim leaves, uh, they'll have their contracts will be up. So probably within within the first year of taking the job, they'll have to start working on the next round. It, it won't have to come in place, but you have to start finding out what's out there. And that may be, for that person, new technology, not just different networks or the same networks paying you more money. Yeah. All right. So last question. You tell me if you can answer it, you know, kind of shorter, if you want more time for a more expansive answer next week. But, uh, you know, I've gotten this a lot and we always seem to get it this time of year. But do you think that the way the Big Ten is officiated during the regular season impacts the ability of Big Ten teams to have success in the tournament? Like the physical style of play that the Big Ten always becomes during the season. Does that hinder the conference later on? I'm not sure the Big Ten is any more physical than any other league right now. I think there's much more. uh, I'm going to give this word a shot. Homogeneity. Uh, Homogeneity. Good one. uh, I think there's much more in within college basketball than there was back in the early 2000s. The ACC had its own group of officials. And pretty much if you were if you wanted to work the ACC, you didn't work anywhere else. You might work some mid-major leagues and stuff to get dates and get paid. But you didn't, you didn't work the ACC, you didn't work the SEC, you didn't work the Big Ten or whatever. I think there's much more blending now. Uh, once John Clockerty went in, and, and uh, he's since uh, retired from that position, after, you know, John succeeded Fred Bearcat. So it, I think it's much more alike now than it was. So if you think the Big Ten's too physical, and I'm not sure that it is, you probably think that the SEC is too, or the Big East or whatever. Um, I think we're seeing freedom of movement work pretty well. I, I will say that I have seen certain games within the Big Ten. Uh, I will use Wisconsin-Penn State as an example, where it looked like the refs were as tired as Cassius Winston trying to get away from Robert Finnessy. Because they had a few that were just like, come on, guys. I mean, that's not an either-or. That's a what? And that's – so I, I think we, we, we what happens is by the time we get to here, they're tired. Um, and they start reffing games like that. And then, so then people think that officiating is generally bad, but it's not. 
And then things calm down a little bit because when they get to Chicago for the Big Ten tournament, they're mostly the same group in place. They don't have to travel, so they're not as tired. Um, you get to the NCAA tournament, it's fewer refs, more of the better ones. Uh, again, less travel because they sent them to you know, Louisville or uh, 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 Columbia, South Carolina or uh, Columbus or whatever, and they stay there. And they don't jet them across the country and wear them out. There's no reason to. So refing gets better again. This is the this is the bad spot for them. They're tired from the season. They're still keeping up the same schedule. You know, if I were a coordinator of officials, I might say, "Hey guys, go make your money, do what you do, but try to trim it back those last that maybe that last week of February. Try to have a lighter schedule. Try to if I'm going to put you on Michigan, Michigan State, or I'm going to put you on Duke, Carolina, or Kentucky, Tennessee, make, maybe how we have worked one or two other games that week. So I want you good in that game. You know, don't do four and go bing, bing, bing all over the country. And I think that would make things better. Two thoughts in response to that. One, director of officiating sounds like a great stepping stone for college basketball commissioner. So that could be interesting. <laughs> Number two, our chat mob is usually right on point with you. I've never seen such disagreement with you as right now saying positive things about Big Ten officiating. So we've, we've, we've tried some folks in the chat mob, but it could, it could, it, you know, it could be worth, you know, worth an article to explore even more. I would love to, you know, see some data that would try to flesh this out because you often hear it talked about, but I don't, you know, and I feel it myself sometimes just kind of there in the moment, but I don't know if there's any actual data that would actually back it up. So. Yeah, you know, I, I, I we can look at the – I've never broken it down to see if the Big Ten is scoring less than the rest of the country. But, I mean, we have seen, and I don't know for sure this year keeps the trend, but since J.D. Collins came in and, and tried to push the rock that sort of rolled back on John Adams in 20, you know, 2014, he got scoring back up, and then, the, and then everybody just sort of said, we don't want this. You know, all the coaches took over and said, we don't want this. And, and then the rock rolled back down on him, and he took off, and – um, you know, and, and retired. And then JD yeah. came in and said, okay, I'm going to push this rock up the hill again. And he got, and he's getting it up. I mean, every year scoring has gone up a little bit. We went from 67.6 or 67.7 per game, per team per game in 2013, which was 1952 style scoring, even though we have a three pointer now, that's how bad it was. It was the worst in 60 years. Now scoring is back up to over 73 points per game per team. And so you're getting what? That's 146 per game. So we're seeing it go back up. And so I don't know whether the Big Ten bucks that trend. I haven't noticed that. I have noticed that, as I said, end of the schedule, everybody's got the book. All the refs are tired. So they look worse now. But I think if you look at the games, that you know, starting December and then picking it up again in January, not sure the Big Ten looks any different than any other league. Well, you'll have to forgive IU fans if we haven't noticed the scoring increase this season because <laughs> that has not been present in our games. <laughs> uh, Mike Corsi, thank you, as always, for uh, for coming on lending your insight, and we look forward to doing it again next week, and hopefully we have two more IU victories to talk about again. Good luck to the Hoosiers. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Mike. All right, coming up in our final segment of Banner Monday on Tuesday, Josh Wilson is back to help me discuss Indiana's upcoming matchup with Illinois. It's a must-win game for the Hoosiers to maintain their tenuous spot on the bubble. How does Indiana match up with the resurgent Illini? Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We'll talk about it.
Welcome back to Banner Monday on Tuesday. Each week here in our final segment, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. And this week, we got to wait a little while. We still have a couple of days till Indiana's next game. The Hoosiers play on Thursday against Illinois. So obviously, the IU-Illinois postgame show will double as Assembly Call Radio uh, this week. And hopefully, it is a victorious one. That game uh, tips at 7 o'clock Eastern time, I believe. So not a late one, but we will have... Uh, 8 o'clock. Is it eight o'clock? Okay, then eight I have it. Okay, then I have it in my calendar wrong. Okay, so it is eight o'clock. Thank you for being here to, uh, to to correct me. And that voice that you heard is Josh Wilson's, who was here to host the IU Michigan State postgame show. So my first question for you, Josh, is what was it like to be on the hosting end of a postgame uh, show? Yeah, it was uh, very nerve wracking. Um, because obviously I do my own podcast and stuff. And so you, it's okay if you screw up your own stuff, but to screw up somebody else's, it makes you feel really, really awful. Um, and working in the business world, you get a, a taste of that quite a bit. So I, I was actually, um, as I was running through the basement, yelling at high pitch levels <laughs> due to the fact that uh, Cassius Winston missed that shot and the unbelievable defense that Fennessey played, uh, sprinting over to the computer, saw that Chad was on, then I just immediately started sweating like, okay, now you really can't screw this up, pal. So, well, multiple emotions in one. Well, you guys did a great job, and thank you for doing that because it makes it really hard for us to go and enjoy the game if we're stressing about what's going to happen on the postgame show. And I'm glad that it actually worked that we were able to come on and talk with you guys a little bit too, so that was fun. It was. It was a good time. All right, so let's talk about this Indiana-Illinois game, uh, which has taken on added importance due to the fact that Indiana has won two straight games, and so now the Hoosiers are, you know, whether you like it or not, and most of the people listening to this show obviously like it, the Hoosiers are back on pretty much everybody's bubble. As, you know, as Mike DeCorsi said, not, you know, not if the season ended today with this record, but if you project forward winning the next two games, then getting one in the Big Ten tournament, but you got to win the next two games. And I think pretty much every discussion of Indiana making the NCAA tournament involves winning these two games. Indiana has got to get another road win, you know, to bolster that part of its resume. And this Illinois win, you know, Illinois has gotten better. So this is a solid victory. You know, and it's so interesting because, you know, the trajectory of these two teams. On Friday, January 4th, Indiana was 12-2, and 3-0 in the Big Ten, number 27 in Ken Palm. Illinois was 4-10, 0-3 in conference, and 113 in Ken Palm. Two months later, Indiana has gone three and twelve since that game. Illinois has gone seven and eight, which you know seven and eight that's still below five hundred, but it's a heck of a lot better than four and ten. And Indiana is now forty ninth in Ken Palm, and Illinois sixty fourth. Mm-hmm. And Illinois now has a one game lead on Indiana in the Big Ten standings. Um, but, you know, but it is interesting. You know, overall those trajectories are different. But if you just look, you know, the last few games, you know, now that it, especially over the last four games, Indiana probably playing a little bit better than Illinois is. You know, over the last four games, Illinois did just beat Northwestern, but had three straight losses uh, at Wisconsin, home against Penn State, at Purdue. You know, the losses at Wisconsin at Purdue are certainly, you know, you would kind of expect those, um, but they're you know not quite as hot as they were when they won five out of six. So it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, you know, we've talked about you know kind of the stakes. The other thing to add to that is that Illinois currently holds the 10th spot in the standings, which means that a win for Indiana would help you know, propel them out of the Wednesday uh, slot in the Big Ten tournament, especially if they can win this one and the Rutgers game. They would be assured of being out of that spot. So a lot at stake, even though you have two Big Ten teams below 500 playing. What are your initial thoughts on what is sure to be a tough, challenging, competitive matchup for Indiana? Uh, that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, you know, at this point in the season, you know, it's early March. And, you know, when I played in college, I got lucky enough to make it to March. 
uh, one year. And at, at this point in a conference season, you know the other team, like the back of your hand, you know their sets, you know what they're going to run, you know what they do well, what they don't do well. So, I mean, it's just going to be a game of familiarity and it's going to be a game of execution because whoever is going to win this game is going to execute the best. And that's really all it comes down to because, I mean, there's there may be added wrinkles that come along, but there's nothing that's really going to surprise you in games like these. Um, I think uh, Coach Archie Miller called it, it's going to be a rock fight. Um, and that's just the way Illinois plays. And so, I mean, Indiana is going to have to expect that. I mean, they're, they're each other's going to they're going to know what each other's going to do. Um, so you have to be you just have to run your stuff to, you know, as close to perfection as possible and you got to limit opportunities for the other team and illinois case specifically um indiana's going to take care of the ball if they turn over the ball eight times like they did against michigan state i think that's going to line up great for iu and then you know defensive rebounding because you can't give illinois more than one opportunity every trip down the floor because every opportunity you take away from them is um you pretty much a success on your end you know it's interesting both teams are kind of coming off these performances where they had you know, player or coming off games where they had players deliver these outlier performances. It'll be interesting to see what the opposing coach does with it. Andres Feliz for Illinois in that Northwestern game had 26 points mm -hmm. and went 16 of 17 from the line. And you look at his stat line for the year, he had never shot more than six free throws. I mean, that is a total outlier. And of course, as Indiana fans, we know what Justin Smith and Devontae Green did. And, you know, you, who knows what you're going to get from those two guys. Justin has been much better the last two games. Devontae's been all over the place. They obviously change Indiana's team. But it's kind of the same thing with Illinois, where they've had some guys who have been somewhat inconsistent. They're relying on a lot of young guys like Desunmo and Frazier. And so it's not always easy to know what you're going to get from these two teams from game to game. So that makes it kind of a difficult one to project. You know, what's interesting, what you said about the turnovers, you know, you come into a game like this with a team like Illinois that forces so many turnovers, and that's what they do. And you think, you know, if you win the turnover battle, it would be huge for winning this game. And, you know, it's not really that simple all the time. Because last, you know, in their last game against Northwestern, Northwestern only turned it over eight times. But they lost the game because, you know, they cannot do anything else offensively, really, and they couldn't stop Illinois. And in the previous three games which were all losses for Illinois. They forced 12, 17, and 14 turnovers. So they forced a lot of turnovers, but they still weren't able to, to win those games. And Indiana won the turnover battle the first time. Uh, you know, Indiana only turned the ball over 15 times. We forced 21 on them. We actually had 13 steals, and that's without Rob Finnessy playing. So, you know, that, that will be interesting. I mean, it, you know, certainly you want to win the turnover battle. And as much as it is, you want to prevent your own turnovers, and you do. If you can force Illinois turnovers and get transition baskets, that's the thing that Indiana was able to do in that first game against Illinois when they got cooking, especially when they just gave the ball to Romeo. And that's what we did a lot in the second half, was just give the ball to Romeo and let him go. They don't really have anybody that can contain him off the dribble. And so if he can, you know, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, you didn't have Rob Finnessy that game, so you had to kind of play a little bit of a different game. But that's what will be interesting to see is how does Indiana choose to attack this Illinois defense? Um, because I think if we're patient and if you protect the ball, you can get good shots. And if Indiana can get steals like they did in that game and like they did against Michigan State, now you start getting transition buckets. That, to me, is the recipe for Indiana being able to win this game against Illinois. And if they don't, and if they allow Illinois' extended pressure you know, to kind of capitalize on Indiana's occasionally poor passing, I say occasionally that's probably charitable. We're not a very good passing team. You know, then you then it is going to be a rock fight. And I think Indiana has to try and get some of those easy buckets that kind of release the pressure valve on the offense which we see which we've seen in so many games this year. 
Yeah, I, I think the biggest key is, you know, you, how do you attack pressure? Well, you attack pressure with pressure. But I think it's got to be calculated pressure from Archie Miller and staff. You know, exactly how do they do it? And it, if Indiana plays defensively the way they've played the last four games, I think they're going to have a very, very good opportunity of creating turnovers and really taking advantage um, of transition against Illinois. Because, um, like, you know, definitely if you get the Romeo the ball in space or in transition where he, I mean, he, he really did what he wanted on that January 3rd uh, basketball game. So uh, I think he's going to be a big key. I think he's going to have to have a big game. And it's odd because I think we've, we've kind of been in agreement a little bit to where we thought Romeo was going to have a couple big games. And for the most part, he's been kind of quiet here recently. Yeah. But I think the matchup really suits him well against Illinois, just the, with the way they play and just the way he's able to get to the rim on really anybody that he would want. So, um, I, like I said, I think how you attack Illinois has got to be calculated. Um, and I think you can really get them into some troublesome positions if you play your defense the right way, which if Indiana does what it's been doing, I think we could see some of that Thursday night. Yeah, I'm going to predict Romeo is not going to have a big game in this one so <laughs> in hopes that, yes, that then he does. Uh, the other stat to really pay attention to in Illinois games is the free throw line. And so if you look at these last four games, when they beat Northwestern, they were plus 16 at the free throw line. They took 38 free throws and made 33 of them and really outpaced Northwestern in both of those numbers. In the Purdue, Penn State, and Wisconsin games, Illinois was minus five, minus eight, and, and minus five in terms of the numbers of free throws made. And, you know, in the Penn State game, in the Wisconsin game, that was essentially the difference in the game was free throws. And the reason this is so important is because Illinois is dead last in putting opponents on the line. So they are going to put you at the free throw line because they play that pressure defense and they're banking on they're going to be able to force enough turnovers to help compensate for some of that and that hopefully they'll be able to get to the free throw line themselves. But, you know, we are fifth in putting opponents on the free throw line and we've been getting better. I mean, we do a pretty good job of defending without fouling. And so when you look at kind of the recipes for winning and losing that Illinois has had, especially recently, it would seem that Indiana, just based on the stats, would have an advantage at the free throw line, being able to get fouled, get to the line. I know that we haven't shot a great percentage, um, but you know, just getting that volume of attempts, if you can keep Illinois off the line, that's going to go a long way. And we're actually fourth in the conference in getting to the line. So you know, we've been able to use the free throw line to our advantage in a lot of games. Certainly in terms of attempts, you know, some games we haven't made enough, and that's an issue. And last last year we lost at Illinois because we didn't make enough free throws. What were we, like three for 14? I mean, it was something it was, just – it was unconscionably it bad. Like, it's one of those where you just like – I mean, if we just shoot, like, awful, if we shoot 50%, we win the game, and we didn't. So the free throw line is going to be interesting to watch. Indiana's got to be patient, make good passes, not turn it over so they get fouled, and then guys are going to have to step up and make their free throws. Fortunately – the guys who are going to handle the ball for us a lot are pretty good free throw shooters. You know, a lot of our free throw woes come from Jawan and Justin, guys like that. Romeo, Rob, Al, Devante have been pretty good free throw shooters. And a lot of times those guys are going to get free throws against Illinois. So I think that's, that's another key. And then I think the other thing to take advantage of is offensive rebounds. Indiana's 12th in conference play and defensive rebounding percentage. You know, this is how you can help get more shots up. Even if you're turning the ball over, keep that shot volume up as you get offensive rebounds, give yourself extra possessions. And in Indiana's big wins, like games against Michigan State, we've really done a nice job on the offensive glass. And Indiana has really seemed to take advantage of teams that have a weakness on the defensive glass and really exacerbate it. And that's where Justin Smith is so big because he's one of our best offensive rebounders. If he's playing and locked in like he has been the last couple of games, I would expect he'll have a good opportunity to get 10 to 14 points because there will be opportunities on the offensive glass for him to cash in on.
Yeah, and it, Indian is really going to have to attack the glass, A, because it gives you opportunities to slow Illinois down um, in their transition, much like they'd want to do. And, I, and really, you know, if <laughs> Indiana really owned Michigan State uh, on the glass in the second half, which A, allowed them to get back in the game, and B, allowed them to ultimately win just because of the way they rebounded. So, and I mean, it's that vaunted free throw defense that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks <laughs> that Indiana displays. So yes. whatever they're doing, but I, you know, Archie preaches, you know, play defense without fouling. And I think we saw our, ultimately what Archie wants to accomplish with the way Rob Finnessy defended for the last couple of minutes. Like I've never been so excited in my life to watch a five ten guy play defense. It was awesome. And I mean, it, really, I think it's what, you know, he really wants to be able to control the ball and where it's at on the floor. So Look, there's every opportunity for Indiana to win this game. There's no reason that they can't. They just have to control what they can and not make mistakes, which has been easier said than done in, at times this season. Yeah, no, it, you know, Indiana should win this game. There are plenty of reasons why they won't, like if they turn it over too much, if they play lackadaisical defense like they did against Minnesota. You know, if they defend Io DeSumo like they defended Kalsher at Minnesota, he might make six of eight three-pointers on you. You know, so if you're just lax with your scouting report, if you're lax with how you approach guys, you know, like we've seen, if Indiana is locked in and playing well, I think they're going to win this game. The reasons why we would lose are, you know, the same reasons why you would lose to any team if they go off and just have a crazy shooting night and they're not a great shooting team. That's always a reason that you can lose. But, you know, if Indiana just doesn't come to play and if they rest on their laurels from two victories and can't sustain the defensive intensity, and while we all feel a lot better about that because it's been much better over four games, you know, you're going on the road and yeah, you've won a couple of games. And so you're dealing with people telling you that you're good again. <laughs> you know, Indiana hasn't had to experience that much. And for a young team, does that make you lose your edge a little bit? That's what I'm worried about in this game, mm -hmm. because this is the kind of game that a mature team wins. And I don't know yet if we're a mature team. We've seemed like it. It seems like we've turned a corner. But when you're relying on a lot of young guys... This is the kind of game that you could stub your toe in and that we've seen other IU teams. I mean, shoot, we saw one of the most mature teams in recent IU history in 2013 stub their toe at Illinois because they just didn't guard an inbounds play. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, yeah. you know, I am I have cautious optimism about this, but the struggles of the last two months are also fresh enough in my mind to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm staying vigilant kind of as a fan, not letting my guard down. I hope, and I, you know Archie is, so you just hope that the leadership of the team and the young guys recognize, okay, why were we losing those games? Why have we won these last two? And by God, we're going to carry that same mindset into these games because that's where this game is going to be won or lost, regardless of all these little stats that we're throwing out. But that's the thing that we don't know. <laughs> like We just have to right. wait until Thursday night to find out. Yeah, it's got to be a big time cautious optimism here. And look, you know, we've talked about, you know, IU's got to win their, their four many games, probably one in the Big Ten. Well, halfway there. Um, and I think if you told me before the season that Indiana's biggest week would have come down to the last week where it was a road game in Illinois and a senior day against Rutgers, I would probably would have been like, oh, so, you know, Indiana's in contention for a Big Ten title. <laughs> now, Indiana's in contention for like the eight or 19 of the Big Ten tournament and getting to uh, selection Sunday. But Look, this is a very winnable game, um, but you, you've got to approach it because we're really not sure if Indiana has the wherewithal to maintain the consistency over the last two games that we've seen. I mean, they did it early on in the season, so will they recreate or rediscover themselves from that time frame? It's a big question, and we're going to find out Thursday night because it's not an easy place uh, to play. Um, and Illinois always plays hard. That's one thing you will get. They may not always be the best team, but they will, they will work. And they'll, and they'll push you. So we'll see.
Jamie in the chat said, to me, it would seem difficult for this team to feel overconfident after the season. I agree. That's the rational way to look at it. And I hope that we get on there Thursday night and it's like, wow, fifth straight game, we've played well. Those idiots on Banner Monday, you know, talking about this team being overconfident, wasn't that, you know, silly analysis. But you know who I bet is more paranoid about that than anybody right now? Archie. Archie Miller. <laughs> Archie <laughs> Miller. Because, you know, because again, you've got young guys. And as I just said, even with mature guys, that can happen. So it's just, it's a tough spot. It's a tough place to play. You know, it's one of those places, like I remember we went up, we went to Illinois, I think it was in the 2016 season, and it was right after Robert Johnson had gotten hurt. And I don't think that was a particularly good Illinois team, but I was kind of worried about that game. And I think Zaislav came out and had like five three-pointers, and we played really well, and we won. And it's like, mm -hmm. all right, you know, that's how you take care of business in this game. And then you've got the 2013 game, where it's just like, man, weird stuff happened. And games at Illinois are kind of like that. Like sometimes weird stuff happens. Like last year where you go three of a thousand from the free throw line, you know, and turn it over 30 times or whatever it was and you lose. So, you know, I don't know. Illinois is one of those places where trying to predict how a game there is going to go is, I feel like there's just a really wide variance of how those games go. And so especially with a young team against that pressure defense, like I said, just cautious optimism. And I think some of the stats, as I kind of dig into the stats, I felt a little better about it. But this game is not, you know, the stats will tell the story, but the attitude or what is going to affect all of those numbers. And so that's what is, it's just so important. And Archie talked about that in his postgame press conference. That is everything for this team. It, it is. And uh, to be to kind of back up to the overconfidence statement, you know, look, it's it's always kind of a, a tough thing to do to keep 18 to 20 year old um, young men kind of in check, I guess, realistically in some day. You know, I mean, they're they're young we young guys and you know playing there i've been on plenty of road trips you go to places you've never been before maybe you get sidetracked you know during the walkthrough day um and maybe you know i don't think overconfidence will be a problem i just think they got to play ticked off and i mean that worked you know uh, in my final season in college we had a couple things go against us and we just started playing mad and you know <laughs> You, you, you find the confidence through different things. And Archie Miller's talked about that. Is how, how do you find your confidence? Is it going three for three from the free throw line or three-point line? Or is it getting five stops in a row and really controlling the game? So I, I know Coach Miller will do everything to keep these guys locked in um, tomorrow as they travel. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they come out because I don't think you can come out and get punched in the mouth. Because – Man, when Indiana got down early Saturday against Michigan State, it's like, well, Michigan State has this right where they want to. You know, they came out and punched you, and they're going to take off. And, you know, I don't think you can allow that to happen because you're not playing in, you know, Assembly Hall. So it's going to be over in Champaign where everybody's against you. So the fake <laughs> Assembly Hall. There was a moment on Saturday when I looked up at the scoreboard, and I was like, because I remember Andy and I were both surprised that Justin Smith was starting because we figured Duran would start, but he hadn't been feeling right. well, and Justin's right. minutes had been up and down. I just remember looking up at one point in the first half, and I was like, it would be 20-1 to 1 if it weren't for Justin Smith right now because he had 13 of our 14 points. Yeah, I was, like, was scary. This, I, I, I do not feel good about this right now. Now that they battled like, back. <laughs> he had 16 points, like, what, in the first seven minutes? It's like, oh, man, if nobody else wakes up, this is going to be a bad one. <laughs> I know. Uh, kudos to him. That was a heck of a performance. Um, a couple other things to look at. Uh, number one, for Indiana, you're going to have to defend the big guy, uh, Georgie. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but you've you've got to defend him inside and really work to get him in foul trouble. I think this is going to be a really important game for Deron Davis, and I, would, I hope Deron Davis can start, and I hope they pound it down low with him early. Because if you look at Illinois' recent wins over uh, – or 
actually their if you go back and look at their wins over Michigan State, Rutgers, and Ohio State back when they had their winning streak, he played 32 plus minutes, 21.3 points, with 68.4% on twos. I mean, he was dynamite. And that's Michigan State, Rutgers, and Ohio State, all teams that have, you know, pretty good interior players. He was really good. If you look at the last four games where they've struggled, he's playing less than 27 minutes a game because he's had at least four fouls in each game. So I don't know how the game flow went, but you would presume, and he fouled out in one of the games, but you would presume foul trouble you know, uh, contributed to that. And he's averaging only 10 points, and he's shooting 39.3% on twos. So Duran didn't play much in the first game. Race Thompson wasn't in there. Now you've got two guys that are good interior defenders to throw at him. And if you make him struggle, he's their highest usage offensive player. You make him struggle, you make them a low-efficiency offense. So that's something to watch. And I think it's really important for Duran. And I think, you know, whereas, I don't, whereas Race didn't play much, and yeah, I don't know, based on their pressure, you know, this might not be a great matchup for him either. But I think if he can come in and provide a few good minutes in the post, that's going to be big. And then the other thing to watch is who controls the pace. You know, in the first game, the pace was really more to Indiana's liking. Um, you know, that was a 73 to 65 game, uh, you know, a little bit of a slower tempo, but we force a big 10 opponents to use the most time of anybody per possession, average possessions against Indiana are 19.1 seconds. That's a long time. Illinois typically shoots in 16.9 seconds. They want to play really fast. So who kind of dictates that tempo? You know, are we able to be patient on offense and not rush? Too much, although you do want to get some quick scores against them because you know that probably means layups. But don't you know we don't want to get in the trap of taking quick threes. We want to take good quick shots. But then on their end, are we forcing them to use more of the clock? Because when you take a team that is used to scoring quickly or shooting quickly and make them be patient, a lot of times you can get them out of what they want to do. You saw that a lot with Tom Crean's Indiana teams when you'd go play at Wisconsin and you've got to get bogged down in half court offense. You know, it didn't go very well. Kind of the same thing here. They're a fast team. Let's make them play more at our pace. Um, and again, like I said, you know, don't settle for threes. Take the good ones, certainly, but attack, attack, attack. Don't just start settling for jump shots. This game will be one for Indiana. Attacking, getting to the paint, getting fouled, and getting to the free throw line. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and back to uh, Georgie, it's like Bervishifanili, <laughs> however yeah. it goes. But uh, Be- Yeah, Bejan... Is no, I'm yeah, it's Billy. That's how they pronounce it. Yep, you're right. Yep. So, anyways, but if you remember, he got off to a pretty quick start at the game in Bloomington, yeah. uh, and I think that was maybe a string of games where Juwan had been getting in foul trouble and had. To, I don't think he was as aggressive, but yeah, you gotta, you really gotta keep him in check. He, you know, for a freshman, he tries to lead a lot, um, and I know they're not a very um, kind of elder team, so but he, he he's very vocal and he tries to lead a lot. But yeah, if you can get him you know, in foul trouble because he's really kind of their, their main cog in, in, in the middle of their offense down there in the painted area. So, um, but yeah, it's no doubt uh, a big game. And, and I did a show with uh, Brian Tonsoni, as we all know, uh, on Delphi Brackets last night. Indiana is their fourth team out. So look, they're right there and they've got t- several teams in front of them that can really uh, fall backwards here pretty quick. So it's going to be real important for Indiana to definitely take care of business and do all the things that we've said, you know, I don't, we've, we've had a couple good shows in a row, knock on wood. Um, so really hate for, <laughs> hate for to see that, to take a step back again. So, uh, Aaron in the chat said, you think then we'll make this the last point. You think Justin Smith doesn't start after what he did on Saturday. Have to wonder what the ways confidence goes that Archie will reward him. Here's what I would say about that. You know, you put a performance like that together, you know, you would expect to, to start again. However, you know, he was taken out of the starting lineup for a reason, and he probably wouldn't have started if Duran had been healthy. 
And to me, in this particular case with a healthy Duran, this conversation is very easy. Look, they've got a big guy that they like to throw it to down low. We don't want to get we don't want Juwan to get in early foul trouble, and we don't want to let him get off. So Duran's going to start the game. And if for some reason like that sets off Justin's attitude and he gets upset about it and doesn't play, then maybe the attitude turnaround isn't exactly what we thought. I mean, you let you're going to get time, like you're going to play 25, 30 minutes, but you know, and you might even finish the game. But to start the game, we want Duran out there to absorb some of these minutes on Georgie. And if anybody's going to get in foul trouble, let it be him, not mm-hmm. Juwan, early in this game. So to yeah. me, if Duran's healthy, you start Duran in this game, I would say. But I I could, you know, if, if Archie wanted to say, look, Justin played so well, we had to reward him, I'm fine with that. I just think, to me, this is a game Duran starts. Yeah, and I agree. I think, you know, you really got to take advantage of a matchup. And, I, and you know, if Georgie is going to foul a lot or is going to be prone to fouls, you know, Duran's the perfect guy to put on him. You know, let make him defend Duran in the low post and gives the chance for Jawan to play off the ball. And really, you know, it's I know guys are all about starting in these things, but if you if you talk to Justin and, it's, and his attitude's in the right place, you know, you're, okay, we're going to see how Illinois is going to defend you, okay? Because you're going to be you're going to come in with the second unit, or you're going to be the first or second one off the bench. We're really going to see how we can get you get you going, get you take advantage of a couple mismatches. You know, it's okay to be the spark guy. It's okay to be, you know, the second unit and things like that. And because he's got to have to have a big game again, I think. And, you know, if you can let Duran focus on Georgie and vice versa, and you can really put Justin kind of a mismatch situation where he can get somebody to come out on him and he can work his way, you know, maybe some baseline cuts or dribble drive action, then, you know, maybe you have a repeat performance from Saturday and then the ball's rolling at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, okay, so maybe you play Justin, Juwan, and Duran together, but you can't do that against Illinois' pressure. That's just, no, especially yeah. not early in the game. So, yeah. So, anyway, so we'll see what they do. That'll be, you know, that'll be interesting to see how they decide to start. But I think either way, Justin's going to play a lot of minutes and he's going to have an opportunity to take advantage of their rebounding. And I think have a good game. And I agree with you. I think this is a game Justin needs to give you 10 to 12 points and six, seven rebounds. And if he does, you're going to be well on your way to winning. If he does anything close to what he did against Michigan State, you know, holy smokes, that was yeah, you know. But you know, it's funny because at the start of the year, if you had told us like, hey, you know, in the third to last regular season game, Justin Smith's just going to go off and have this awesome game against Michigan State, we would have been like, oh yeah. I mean, we all expect him to be a breakout. He's clearly the third best player on this team. You know, heading into the season, it's like, yeah, he'll be at that point by the end of the year. But man, it's, it was you know the way the season has gone. Yeah. It's surprising now in context. But it's almost like it's kind of starting to coalesce how we thought it would. Yeah. It's just taken a much different road yeah. than we thought. We might have digging ourselves too much of a hole, but it's kind of coming along like we thought it would and how they played better at the start of the year than we anticipated them being ready early. So it's just been a, such a weird, bizarre season. But yeah. huge, just, huge opportunity for Indiana yeah. on Thursday night. That Justin Smith game came four months later than we all expected it to. Yeah. Yes, so, it did. The dubbed Justin Smith game. Yep. All right, Josh, any final thoughts on this game before we head out in our merry way? Well, I mean, look, I've said it, and um, you know, everything's in front of Indiana right now. This is a winnable, winnable game. You just have to have the right mindset, the right preparation. I know Coach Miller's locked in right now, and I think we've seen that kind of from a media standpoint, the way he's handled several things. Um, if you've taken notice, and uh, he wants his team to be that way. And I think the team has reflected that drastic change so you know he quoted at the end of minnesota do they keep it rolling that's the big question because consistency is what matters and this team is very very capable of doing some damage 
So we'll find out Thursday night if they're they're for real or not. Hey, where did you play? Where did you play again? So I played at uh, Ancilla College. It's a small school, a uh, small private college up here in northern Indiana, around the Plymouth area. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's not uh, it's not Division One, but um, it's college yeah, basketball. Pretty, it is. Yeah, I had a, we we got to travel, play some big games. I played in a in a national tournament, or well, I got to the regionals of national tournament, but yeah. That got to play fun. March, so that was that was always a dream. It wasn't it wasn't the big dance, but we we did a little bit of dancing. So I had opportunities to play D three coming out of high school, and I always I always kind of wonder what it would have been like if I'd actually like I, I took like one visit and didn't feel real comfortable at the school, mm-hmm. and I kind of knew I wanted to go to Indiana, you know. But yeah. I was I've always kind of wondered, been a little a little envious of the people who actually did that because I think it would have been such a fun experience. Yeah, the, the visit thing was cool. I, I went on numerous visits. Uh, obviously, I didn't. It, it wasn't like the D one lifestyle, but it, it was neat just the way. They, they do things at some of those smaller schools because some of those small schools really do take basketball serious, especially here in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, much like you, I really wanted to go to IU for college, but uh, I, I, I talked myself into because I could play basketball. You know, I could play basketball and always go back to IU and get a degree. I can't yeah. go back and play basketball. So it's kind of like, you know, take your opportunity and I know see what happens. Man, I was trying to get good enough to where maybe Crean would throw me a scholarship, but that never happened either. So, <laughs> and I gra- I was graduating high school. I graduated high school a year late because I graduated high school in 09 and that was obviously the dumpster years for Indiana and I was hoping maybe, you know, if, if you could have just been Richard. so lucky to have a good shooting day in front of him just once, oh, you might yeah. have gotten the scholarship offer just yeah, I, just on the basis of one good shooting day. Because yeah. I played in the <laughs> on the major AAU circuit. I mean, I I played against Evan Gordon that we all know. Um, I, I I played in big AAU games, won some AAU tournaments, played in front of some coaches. But uh, Kareen never, I never had my day in front of Coach Tom Kareen. So That's, that will always all, all it took me. was one day in front of Coach Kareen. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. And I didn't do it. That's all it took. Uh, All righty. Well, hopefully the Hoosiers play well, and we will be here to talk about it with you on Thursday night. That'll do it for us on this week's edition of Banner Monday on Tuesday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com, usually on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU fan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops after the IU-Illinois game Thursday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. 
Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.